Special, special. <laughs> Morning, everyone. Praise the Lord. Whether you're online or you're at HQ, uh, praise the Lord. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And for those that are at HQ, sorry, we're not combining with everybody. You're stuck with the special one. Um, but it's actually very exciting. Right? I'm just thinking about 17 April where we gather together finally after two years. Huh? Remember, it was uh, lockdown also somewhere around, around April last year. And uh, we, we, of course, uh, had a whole series where we uh, was uh, watching live stream online. And Pastor's family became uh, the church, like the ministry. Like Jabez was playing the drums. People, uh, Abby was singing and then Pastor was preaching. Like we could just be at home and then watch it while Pastor's family do all the job. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody on 17 April. I know that you are excited as well. And there are so many people that we haven't seen for so long, right? I remember last, uh, like a couple of months ago, there was a soccer uh, session. Then I saw Jonah for the first time in two years. And he looks exactly like the same, you know, like, like he was uh, with his track pants tucked in. Then he was like, like that, like, oh, yeah, that's Jonah. That's the same Jonah that I saw at Hong Lim Park uh, when we were playing frisbee uh, back when we were young. And then I saw Nalini about two months ago or one month ago when she was uh, here doing kids' church. And she's with a bum already. And like, time flies, man. I'm like 36 this year and uh, time really flies. And it's just two years of not seeing each other and uh, I know we're all looking forward to it. But I think that anticipation somehow also spills over. And I am so excited that uh, I know God is going to do a great work in that service. You see, when we have expectation, right, God is going to always meet that expectation. When your expectation is high, God is going to be higher than your expectation. When you come to the service and you think that, oh, it's the same old, same old, then it's going to be the same old, same old. I know 17th of April is going to be super special. Because we have that level of anticipation and we're going to meet God there. Amen. And sometimes I think, how about the other services? I'm, I'm speaking to about myself as well, right? Sometimes we, we come to, to service and we think that, oh, it's the same old, same old. Not the same old, same old when you have to prepare for service and you have to prepare for preaching. But sometimes when you're not on duty and you relax. But I want us to pray before we, we, we hear the Word of God that I don't want to be the same old, same old. I want this Word of God that God has given to us to really apply in our lives. And I want to meet Him at His level. Can we do that? Jesus, we just want to pray, O oh God, for Your Word, O oh God, Lord, to go forth and not return void, O oh God. Lord, this morning, O oh God, Lord, we feel Your presence, O oh God. We feel, O oh God, Your touch, O oh God, Lord, of Your mercy and Your grace, O oh God. We feel, O oh God, Lord, that longing, O oh God, Lord, that You're coming back soon again, O oh God. And Lord, as we pray, O oh God, Lord, I pray, O oh God, that you will prepare my heart, O oh God. Prepare my heart to receive your word, O oh God. Lord, to the same measure that you want me to receive, O oh God. Nothing lower, nothing higher, but to the same level, O oh God, Lord, that today, O oh God, Lord, what you want me to receive in this service, I receive it in Jesus' name. I anticipate, O oh God, Lord, that I'm going to receive and I'm going to apply your word in my life and it will go forth and not return void. It will bring forth food fruit of a hundredfold, of a sixtyfold, of a thirtyfold. In Jesus' name, we seal it. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say, Amen. 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 Um, 
I, I struggle a bit with today's message because uh, first of all, Pastor uh, messaged us, uh, uh, messaged all the preachers and said that, uh, you know, this week, right, I want you all to feel and preach whatever that God has put in your heart. And I'm like, God is not putting anything into my heart until like Friday night, there's still nothing. I was quite chill about it because I, I know that God will still come through, right? But when God finally gave me like a tinge of the message and for me to digest, I struggled with God because um, in, my, in the back of my mind, it's like a golden opportunity, you know. Pastor telling me that I can preach whatever I want. I'm like, I want to preach faith, man. I want to preach uh, uh, the Word of God that can get everybody out of their seats and then start praising God and all that. But when he gave me the message, I struggled a lot. In fact, I went to my Dropbox and I looked at all the past messages of faith, uh, faith building, mercy, grace, God touching me and all that. And that's not what God wants. So I struggled with it. Um, but it's not to say that the message is, is, uh, is dull and boring or it's something that will make you uh, like, like not be rah-rah. I think it's, it's an it's a application of what we have heard over the past two weeks. We heard about how God wants us to put Him first again. And I've been pondering about this uh, subject for a long time. And I think uh, God sort of just jogged into my, my mind on Friday night and I started to, to uh, research on this topic. And today I want to talk to you about overcoming neutrality. Overcoming neutrality. Okay? Before I go into uh, the, the scripture itself, I want to let you know that uh, there is this country that was particularly very interesting. The country is actually called Switzerland. Now, Switzerland, if you know anything about the history of Switzerland, Switzerland has not participated in any foreign war ever since 1815. That is uh, more than 200 years ago. 200 years of history, he has not participated in any war, when he or she established itself as a neutral country. So Switzerland in itself is a neutral country. They, they, they kind of uh, pride themselves as saying that I am a neutral country. A neutral country basically is defined as a state that does not take sides in any specific war or future conflicts. In fact, this state doesn't even enter into military alliances. Things such as uh, uh, ally power or whatever power, they don't enter into that. They establish themselves as uh, a neutral country. In fact, I want to show you a map uh, that was very interesting. Maybe the graphics can show it out. You see, during the First war, World War, right, countries begin to group themselves together. One is called the Central Powers. The other one is called the Allied Powers. And can you see the plot of the whole raid map and in between there is one uh, colour that is different from the red one. That is Switzerland itself. You see, it so happened that Switzerland in 1980, uh, uh, sorry, 1815 said that he wants to be a neutral country and while World War I was going on, Switzerland was sharing the borders with two other countries of the central powers, mainly Germany and uh, Austria. And they also share the same border with two of the allied powers of France and Italy. In fact, being surrounded by all these countries, Switzerland still managed to maintain its neutrality and did not engage in any war at all for the whole 200 years. 
You see, I, I think when I look at this map, I'm thinking, wow, actually Switzerland was quite good. Huh? Like, they managed to stay neutral. And, and I see the benefits of staying neutral, right? If, you, if a country stays neutral, basically, uh, maybe many lives would have been saved because the country is neutral. Uh, not to mention the, the destruction of property or the, the, the other devastating effects of war that the, the war can bring. And Switzerland, being neutral, was not part of it. There was no loss of lives. Why am I telling you this? Later, I'll come back to it. But I don't know whether you know or not, there is actually a trend online that is saying that, you know, recently Singapore made a stand and said that uh, we, are, we, are, we stand with uh, the, the United Nations stand of, uh, you know, uh, going against what Russia has done to Ukraine. And there was a topic or there's a discussion online that says that uh, why is Singapore making a stand? Why is Singapore not being neutral about it? And now Singapore is being classified by Russia as one of the unfriendly country. And, and, and some of the Singaporeans are thinking, oh, why? Why do we do that? Why do we put on ourselves a dangerous position to be classified by Russia as an unfriendly country? You see, today I'm not going to talk about politics, right? I, I'm not here to say whether uh, Singapore stand is right or not. Uh, partly because I don't know whether is it right or wrong. Because both sides have uh, their own uh, equal merits. But at the same time, when I think about all this uh, neutrality or this, this wave of neutrality that is in this world, my question today that I want to ask myself and you want to ask yourself as well, does this neutrality apply in the kingdom of God? Because a lot of the times we can apply what is happening in the world and in, into our lives and we realize that, uh, I, I started to ask myself, does this neutrality apply in the kingdom of God or not? Is it possible for one to consider themselves as a spiritual Switzerland who takes no side? Is there a middle ground today that we can take? Is there a, a ground that we can say that we are non-aligned and we, we are not taking sides with anybody? Can we sit on the fence? So that is the question that I've been asking myself when I say I want to put God first. Is there a, a, a place where I can balance between the world and God? Is there somewhere that I can sit in between the fence? Is there a neutral ground when it comes to religion? That's what I'm really saying. You see, there is a saying in recent uh, times. There are friends that come, back to, uh, come to me and say, you know, um, Bong, you know, uh, all religion uh, is good. It will bring us to the same place. No need to talk to me about Christianity and all that. Your Christianity preached about good, right? My religion also preached about good. We are all going to the same place. Then my question is, I mean, when I heard about that, it sounds very comforting. It's like, wow, good, eh? everybody going to the same place. Eh? Very comforting. But is it applicable to us Christians? Are we supposed to be neutral in all things? That's my question today. And I think many of us know the answer. And the answer is actually found in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus' word says that whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. I read again, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. These are the words that are being spoken by Jesus. And these words that are spoken by Jesus basically puts us into two camps. 
there is no neutral category being brought out. You see, if there was a neutral category, Jesus would have said, if you are with me, stand at this side. If you are against me, stand at this side. If you have no stand, you can stand on the middle ground. Don't worry about it. But Jesus did not say so. He poses two scenarios for us. One is for Him. The other one, you are against Him. Basically, there is no middle ground. It's not like the United Nations where you can go vote for, vote for against, or vote for abstain. In God's kingdom, basically, there is no neutrality. It is either for or against. There is no abstain. It almost seems like you don't have to be a murderer to be against Jesus. The moment where you say you are not for Jesus, you are against Him. It almost seems like you don't have to sin to be against Jesus. The moment you say you are, you don't, you are not following Jesus, you are against Him. I know it's a hard message for some of us that are here today. But what does it mean for us to put God first? That's the question today. Because by not being with Jesus, it means that we are against Him. You see, beginning at the start of time, there are two camps. One is God, one is Satan. And when it came to the earth, there was also two camps. One was the, the culture of the world. The other one was culture of God. At the end of the world, there is also still going to be two camps. There is one heaven and there is one hell. It is a very unpopular saying right now. When I say that there is one heaven, there is one hell, there is no in-between. But there is what the Word of God says. And I'm not here to bend the Word of God. The Word of God says that if whatever life that is not yield to the control of Jesus is by default the control of the devil. It means that if we are not gathering with Jesus in His work of saving people, we are with the devil. I love this quote from Albert Einstein. He says that the world is a dangerous place to live, not because of the people who are in the world that is evil, but because of the people who don't do anything about it. You see, the problem is not about the evil that exists in this world. The problem is that so many of us, so many of the people that is in the world, wants to sit on the fence, wants to be neutral. But end of the day, we know at the end of Earth's history, people will be grouped into two classes. And that's what the devil wants us to not think about. The devil wants us to think about that there is going to be a middle class that we can come into. But that's not what God says. And I think about it, right? Sometimes, why do I want to be in the middle ground? I mean, I want this, I want this uh, uh, um, Word of God to be applicable to me. And I start to question myself. I say, God, why do I not want to be with you or with the devil? Why do I want to be in the middle ground? And I started to recall some of my friends that are in my life that they are actually very righteous. They are actually very nice. They are very caring. But at the same time, they don't know God. And part of me, in my, in my carnal mind, wants to think that they are going to be okay. That God will judge them according to their fruits. But we all know that at the end of the day, there are two camps. We all know that there is a way of salvation. That, that, that when we talk about salvation, there is no middle ground. Eh? There's no saying of, oh, you do this and you do that. Maybe God will allow you to be somewhere in between. The Word of God is very clear, super clear 
In fact, he says in John chapter 10, verse 9, he says that he is the door. And in 14, verse 6, he says he is the way and no man comes to the Father by him. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I was seeking for a neutral ground, but I found none. You see, in these words that Jesus or His apostles have said, there is no neutral ground in this verse. There are no neutral grounds in the issue of salvation and the importance of the Word of God. There are no neutral grounds. Neutrality is a myth. And today we need to recognize that. We are told by many in the world that we must accept the choices that other people make. And that's true. It is true that we must love everybody to the utmost dignity and respect that they deserve. But it is not true that we, will, we should remain neutral to the choices and the values that some choose and to express. And sadly, a lot of times when we speak truth, we are often labelled as a, a Christian. We are labelled as judgmental. And then maybe that's why we don't want to be somewhere closer to God. We want to stand neutral. But this is not the truth. And I am here to establish that neutrality is a myth. And therefore, point number one, we need to overcome neutrality. We need to overcome neutrality. Today, we are fully engaged in a great cultural war and society changes are moving faster than ever. Look about 100 years ago, what the society accepts then and the society accepts now, it is a vast, vast difference. Super vast differences. Things that we don't accept in the past, very acceptable now. Things such as tattoos. Nobody wants to talk about it. Why? Because we see big mega churches, people, pastors, even having tattoos, saying that it is an expression of art. I'm not against tattoo if it's before Christ. But I'm here to say that the society norms 100 years ago is so different from now. How about casual drinking? 100 years ago, it is a no-no in church. And right now, it seems that we're drawing closer and closer to where neutrality is. Neutrality tells us that social drinking is okay. But Two weeks ago, I just read a report. The biggest church, evangelistic church, arguably in the whole world, or, or not arguably greatest, uh, biggest in Australia. The head global pastor fall into fornication because of casual drinking. And he was intoxicated. He went into the hotel room and all the ministry that was built up over the years gone like that because of casual drinking. You know, sometimes we think that it's okay for us to be so near to the line or be in neutrality. But we never know. We never know what neutrality does to us. My question today is where do we draw the line? Because if we don't, the line of compromise is going to come closer and closer to us. Because the pressure to compromise is very, very real. It's super real. You know, when I go to business trip, I, I go to uh, Copenhagen. Copenhagen is uh, 
the home ground or the or where Carlsberg and Henneken origins. Everybody is drinking there. And I, I, I just wanted to be honest, sometimes it's very hard to make a stand when everybody is saying, let's cheers. And then I'm bringing up a Coke. I, I, I sometimes think like, you know, uh, the stand that I'm making, is it, is it that um, uh, they are looking at me like a fool like that? But part of me thinks that I don't live for them. They're probably in my season of my life as my colleagues. But I'm looking forward to the end of the days where God is going to look at me and say, what have I done in my life? You see, both Sharon and I come from a family that are non-Christians. And there were a lot of times where we need to stand for what we stand for. And I still remember there are times where, where we did things that are odd in their eyes. And in this world that we are living in, we are going to be odd. We are. There are things that we do that people will not understand. In fact, it doesn't even apply to Christians. There are colleagues that are not Christians in your life. They are doing things that are odd, but they are okay with it. Why? Because they are living by their own principles. My question today to you is, are you living by the convictions that God has given to you? Or are you swaying closer and closer to this place called neutrality? We need to overcome it. We need to say that God, enough is enough. I'm living for you. I remember there was a point of time where we were wanting to get married and there were decisions in our life uh, that me and Sharon wanted to make. And then there were times where we wanted to honour our parents but at the end of the day, we want to see what God wants to do. Things such as buying a house. Things such as uh, the, the having a Christian ceremony where both our families are not Christian. And I will tell you that when you stand for God, God is going to stand for you. There are so many times that I realize in my Christian walk that if I just give God a chance to prove that He is God, He is going to come true with us. I always remember what Sister Huya said to me. If you stand for God, God will stand for you. And there was a point of time where I was so down because even reading the Bible in my home became so hard. But her words always rang to me and said that if I am going to make a stand today, I'm going to make a stand for God because He will come true to us. You see, our goal is not to be conflict with others. The scripture says let's live peacefully with others. But at the same time, at the end of the day, if my harmony with God is going to bring unavoidable conflict with others, then I'm going to live for God. No choice. Because I belong to Him. And today I want to let you know that I hear of stories of how you stand for God. And I applaud you for that. Because when I was a teenager, there were times when I fall. But when I came back, there was a moment where I said, this is Mount Moriah, where I gave out something for God and God came true for me. And I applaud you for that. And don't you think that all the things that you made, all the sacrifices that you made in the past, God did not see it. God saw it. That's why you are here today. But all I'm saying is that the sacrifices that are in the past, you need to continue to do so. Because it is not the conviction in the past that will sustain you. It is the conviction that you made today. That you say that God, you are still first in my life. That will sustain you for the future. But don't you ever think that no one is watching because God is doing so. And every action that is taken to honour God will not go to vain. But sadly, many Christians are AWOL 
or absent without leave in this cultural war and are trying to be neutral. We become this word called tolerant instead of being patient. You see, there's a difference between tolerant and patient. I want to give you an analogy which is a gearbox. Maybe graphics, you can show the, the slide again. You see, to me, tolerance is defined as lenient, permissive indulgence. Instead of waiting for things to unfold while continuing to work towards your goal, tolerance will cause you to put up with something that is not working. Tolerance basically is like a neutral gear. Even if you step on the accelerator, you cannot move forward because you are on a neutral gear. You know, there were a lot of times where I accidentally put into neutral gear because I'm at the traffic light and I forgot to put back into drive and I step on the accelerator. The sound is very loud, but I'm not moving an inch. A lot of times, we Christians, we are like neutral gear. We can say, God, I live for you. God, I love you. God, you are the number one in my life. But you are on neutral gear. I'm on neutral gear. When I step on an accelerator, I cannot move one inch. That is tolerant. You are tolerant and I'm tolerant about the things that are happening in this world. The engine can sound very loud. And the problem with neutral is that this wave of cultural war is an upslope hill. And any, any drivers will know that if today you put yourself on neutral and you're on an upslope hill, and if your legs are tired and you lift off your legs from the brake, what will happen? You will roll backwards. The culture, world, the culture of the world is putting us on an uphill slope. And today, if you are neutral, I promise you this, that if your legs are lifted up from the brake, you will not move forward. You will, move, you will not even stand on the same spot. You will move backwards. And there is the danger that we don't talk about today. I know it's not a feel-good message, but I think when we talk about God being first, we need to understand that there are the agenda of the enemy, that He wants us to serve Him as well. It is either that we serve God or we serve the enemy. And we are on this uphill battle. If we continue to remain on neutral gear and we release our brake, then we will re reverse and roll backwards. And that is automatic. That means that if you had a conviction before and you don't do anything about it because your gearbox is neutral, then you roll back. Whereas patience in this gearbox, I see it as drive. Patience is determined as Determination, tenacity, endurance, single-minded. While tolerance allows you to justify not doing something about it, patience is steadfast in resolving and reaching your goal. Patience is at the drive mode that says that you are stepping on the brakes, yes, because of the traffic light, but today when you take your foot off the brakes, if you're on an uphill slope, you're still there. If you step on the accelerator, you are ready to go because you are inching forward. You are saying, God, I'm just waiting for the traffic light. I'm just waiting for my friend to respond. I'm there. I'm ready. I'm on a forward position. I'm there to, 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 to hold on to my conviction. I'm there to say that, God, you are first. I'm there to say that I'm progressing. It is only the traffic light that is waiting. I'm, when it turns green, I'm going to be patient. 
But when it turns green, I'm stepping on the traffic light. And I'm ramping on. You see, God says in Revelations chapter 3, verse 15 to 16, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold or hot. I wish you are either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, and I am about to spit you out of my, my mouth. God is saying, I'd rather you be in reverse. I'd rather you be in drive. But I'd rather you not be in neutral. Because neutral, you don't know whether you're going back or you're going forward. I'd rather you be one of it. But of course, we want to be in drive. End of the day, I want you to remember that we all need to be in the drive mode. We need to overcome neutrality. Where are you standing today? Are you in neutral mode or are you in drive mode? Point number two, no two masters. While we heard of people that are in neutral, and some of us maybe are in neutral today, there are some that are not in neutral, but they want to enjoy both sides. It's like the gearbox like that. You go drive, you go reverse, go drive, go reverse, go drive, go reverse. There was one time, right, when I was still younger, I remember I wanted to be like Initial D, you know. I went to uh, Marina uh, Bay there. There was a very little car and I rented a car. That one was still before Christ. Then I watched the Initial D. They say you pull the, the handbrake and then you steer the steering wheel and then you brake and then you accelerate at the same time. I did exactly that. And then four of my friends in Polytechnic uh, scolded me and said that they nearly went to the other side early. Because the back of the, the car, uh, the two tyres at the back of the car literally skid. And I went like, not 180, la, but maybe 90 degrees before I turned back. And, and they were saying, don't do that again. I'm not sitting in your car ever again. And there is a rumour that you know, in, in some of, some of you all that know me, that uh, I'm a... Uh, I have since turned to be a very safe driver, right? Still very safe, right? My wife will back to defer. But there was one time where I also was driving, right? Then I was so impatient. I was like, I drive, 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 then I press brake. Then uh, before it came to a stop, right, I straight away changed to reverse because I wanted to reverse to the parking. The car stopped. The car literally cannot start anymore. It's like, boom, 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 boom. It's like, oh, what happened? Uh? If you don't try it, uh, don't try it. But if your car goes from drive to reverse and then to drive to reverse, chances are you need to send your car to a workshop. It is not realistic for a car to go from drive to reverse, drive to reverse, and drive to reverse. It is the same here. Some people, including me, are not on neutral, but they want to enjoy both sides. They want to be on God's side. They want to be on the other side as well. They want to take long vacations from church but are not loyal to attendance and tithes. You know, the thing about tithes, right? I'm not here to, to, to ask for your money, right? I'm not even a church, church uh, uh, staff. But the thing about tithe is what are you putting God at? Are you putting God first? That's the whole idea about tithes. There are people that seek, seek selfish pleasures and have also have lost the desire for separation and holiness. They have addictive habits and are slaves to sins. They want practical sermons to help them, but they have no stomach for doctrine or deeper Christian life. These people say that, what can Christ do for me? Not what can I sacrifice for Christ? 
There was a story in the Bible in 1 Kings 18, verse 21. It says, As the children of Israel gathered at Mount Carmel, Elijah the prophet of God asked a very paternal question to the people. He said to them, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. But the people answer Him not a word. You see, the prophet of God, Elijah, was calling on people to make a choice on whom they will serve. These people have been shifting between the opinions. Sometimes they want to serve God, but other times they want to serve Baal. Sometimes they say that, God, I want to follow after you. I'm going to throw away all my idols. But maybe on the Monday, they go back to Baal. And they say, Bill, can you give me prosperity? Can you give me things that I want in my life? They wanted to go both ways. You know how I know that? It's because they didn't answer Elijah a word. In the last verse, it says, but the people answer him not a word. Why? Because they couldn't decide. They couldn't decide whether is it God or is it Bill. Because they, they saw that both sides had their good points. They wanted both of the good points and combine together and be in a neutral position. The lack of answer can be taken as a sign that these people wanted to maintain status quo. They wanted to continue to do what they want to do. In one moment, they want to be with God. In the other moment, they want to be with Bill. And that reminds me so much about myself. In one moment, I say that I want to be affiliated with the things of God. And the next moment, I want to say that, oh, this thing is favourable, but maybe it's against the will of God. It's okay. Let me go to the other side. There are so many times that we see that we want to engage in relationships that God doesn't want to approve. And when things go wrong, we seek the same God whom we have disobeyed to say that, can you help me or not? We do business the devil's way. And when prophets are not so good, we go to God and say, God, can you bless me? I'm wrong. We cheat in exams. And then we pray to God, God, can you help me pass my exam or not? How can God bless something that is not aligned to His principles? But sometimes, yes, He does because of His mercy and grace. But at the end of the day, we are still faltering between two opinions. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the other and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And if you were to read James chapter 1, verse 7 to 8, you will learn that a person who is double-minded in all his ways should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And I started to probably understand a bit more, right, in, in army context. You know, we are all in this cultural war, this, this war. And the last thing that a soldier can do, right, is to pledge allegiance to the other side and then suddenly say that I want to come back to serve the other army again that he has abandoned. No soldier will do that. 
Because they know that when they come back, they're going to be a prisoner of war. They're not going to join back the army again. Because loyalty to an army is of the utmost importance. That is one of our core values. Not just in the Singapore, Singapore army, but across all the armies in this world. And I, my question to you is, if we are in the war today, if you are a soldier, where are you pleading your allegiance to? Because both sides want your loyalty. Both sides want your worship. Both sides want you to be in your kingdom. But there is no way that you can stand on both sides. Today, we need to make up our mind to stand with God because there is no middle ground. And that brings me to my third and last point. We need to put our gear into drive mode. We need to put our gear into drive mode. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 9 to 13 says, Give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offerings. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar, heard throughout the night, till morning. And the fire must be kept burning on the altar. The priest shall be kept, shall then, sorry, put on his linen clothes and with linen undergarments next to his body and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off this clothes and put on others and carry the ashes onto outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. In verse 12, it says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and the burn, burn the fat of the fellowship of the offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. You see, this scripture, Leviticus chapter 6, talks about how to maintain the temple. And in four verses, God repeated the one instruction three times. And you know what? When God repeated the instructions more than one time, it means that we need to take note of Right? And three times in this short passage of Scripture, God said the fire must be kept burning on the altar. The fire must be kept burning on the altar. The fire must be kept burning in the altar. And I started to ponder on this words, the fire must be kept burning on the altar. What does that mean? It means that today, God can light the altar. You see, this temple, the, the fire that is in this temple, God lighted it. It was where everybody was in place, the things were in place, everybody was standing in place and there was a fire from heaven that came down and started the altar fire. And then on, the fire didn't go off. For 860 years, the fire was kept there. The fire did not go out. You see, God can start the fire in your life. But it is not His job to keep the fire burning. It is not. Last week, we had a, such a great move of God. I felt the desire of the people in HQ. I know you felt it too. It is God's job to rekindle our desire, to start the fire that is at our altar. But it is not God's job to continue that fire. It is the priest's job. You see, the Bible talks about the priest's job was to make sure that the fire don't go out. And I start to ponder, what does it mean for my fire to not go out? On a realistic sense. On a sense where I'm really 
need to keep the fire. And I imagine myself, right, in the morning, I put the wood, okay, and then I go about my daily lives. Eh. I'm okay to go to my daily lives where I can uh, maybe meet up with my friend, uh, eat a meal with my friend, and maybe uh, lunchtime I come back and I say, oh, the fire, okay, still burning, okay. Then I go to maybe work, and then I come back, oh, the fire is still burning, okay, no problem. You see, watching the fire doesn't mean that you don't do anything else. Watching the fire just means that you anticipate when the fire is going to go out and you go back to the fire and making sure that you add enough wood to the fire and make sure that it, it continues to, to burn. Some people think that, oh, I need to be, I need to be 24-7 praying. I need to be 24-7 reaching out to God to make the fire burning. But the priest didn't do that. The priest did one thing in the morning, went to add wood to the fire. And that kept the fire burning for 860 years before invaders came to Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and the fire as well. Living for God is not as complicated as we think it is. As long as we can keep the fire burning, as long as every morning you see that the fire is a bit small, you add that, that wood into the fire, that's, that's enough. That's enough to keep the fire burning. Let's not overcomplicate things and say that you need to pray 8 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 6 o'clock. If it works for you, by all means. But some people are not wired that way. Some people pray in the night because that's where the fire goes a bit down. Some people say that uh, their fire burns brighter when uh, maybe they go for a morning walk or morning exercise. End of the day, what keeps your fire burning? The fire... Like I said, it burns for 860 years. That's over 1 million hours. 1 million hours. And all I want to say is watch the fire. Uh, I, I got a prop over there. You see, when I pray, right, God always give me props. Right? I'm sorry, I don't know whether the camera can follow me or not. But I was praying there. I was saying, God, keep my fire, keep my fire. Then He give me a fire extinguisher, you know. Last week, or last time, he gave me the, the flower. But today, he gave me fire extinguisher. Why am I showing you this fire extinguisher? It's sometimes we forget that the agenda of the enemy is that he's standing at the side, ready to start this fire extinguisher. Ready to say that if you're not watching the fire, I'm there. That's the agenda of the enemy. I remember when I was in, in uh, jungle training, one of the, one of the things is to start a fire. And sometimes the instructor will say, you better watch your fire because I'm coming here to extinguish it. And there are times where we don't want to be too far away from the fire. Why? Because we are scared that the instructor may come and then destroy our fire. We need to be alert and watch our fire because there is an enemy that says that he's going to creep in closer. The Bible says that the enemy is like a roaring, roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If today, I want you to understand that while we can say that we can go about and do our own things, that there is also an agenda of the enemy that says that he wants to extinguish our fire. And so we need to watch our fire and keep it burning. And the last story for today that I want to talk to you about is Peter. See, it begins with Peter and Cornelius. We know Cornelius is a Gentile. 
he received a vision from God saying that somebody will come and preach the word of God to him. And at the same time, Peter received a vision to say that now is the time to go to the Gentiles and preach the word of God to the Gentiles. So Peter, of course, listened to God. He went and he preached the gospel to the Gentiles. The Gentiles received the gospel. And so glad that today we received the, the gospel because we are all Gentiles. But you would think that Peter then will become an ambassador to the Gentiles, right? In fact, in Acts chapter 15, in the council of Jerusalem, Peter was the one that stand up because everybody was telling the Gentiles, you should be circumcised. You are not part of us. Unless you are circumcised and you, you follow the law of Moses, then you can be part of the church. And then they were having this great debate. Oh no, the Gentiles must do this. Then the, the Gentiles were saying, Oh no, 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 Peter told us this. Then Peter stand up in front of everybody and say that, No, 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 no. Gentiles or Jews, in the end we follow the law of grace and mercy under the new law, under the New Testament. They don't need to be circumcised. And that's that. And everybody acknowledges that. That the, the Gentiles don't need to be circumcised anymore. And that is Peter in Acts chapter 15. That he stood up for the Gentiles. He preached the word of God to the Gentiles. He is basically an ambassador for the Gentiles. But in Galatians chapter 2 verse 11 to 13. Let's read this. This is the words of Paul. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insist on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by his hypocrisy. You see, we never saw this side of Peter sometimes. That Peter being an apostle of God was also succumbed to the culture of the world. The culture of the world says that, oh, we need to draw a line. Come, come to the culture of the world. And Peter was that the same person that preached against it suddenly became the, the same person that was for it. Where did, our, where did his conviction lie? I don't know what went wrong in between. Maybe the friends of James were the one that kind of uh, persuaded him to do otherwise. That's why friends are so important. That's why your conviction is so important. But in this story, that tells me that if Peter can succumb to the influences of the world, so can we. And the only thing that can draw us to God's side it's really our conviction. It's really making sure that our fire continues to burn. It is making sure that, the, that we are not relying on the fire that was happening in two years ago, the DCD, to sustain us. It is relying on every Sunday, the touch of God. It is relying on every morning when you reach out to God to sustain that fire. I know of some people, or a lot of, a lot of my, my friends changed during covid the convictions that they hold dear before COVID hit suddenly became not there anymore. But my question to you is, which camp are you standing today? 
When we say, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind and my strength, what does that mean? Is it to, to mean that we can stand in both camps? Is it to mean that we can stand on neutral ground? Is it to mean that we can rely on past Moriah to establish what we have? If Peter couldn't do it, today I, I want to just let you know that we can't live on past experiences to determine what is our path and what, how do we charter our path forward. Today is the day that I want to reach out to God and say, God, keep my fire burning. Today is the day that I want to say, God, you are first. You have ignited my fire, yes, but I want to keep that fire burning. Today is the day that I want to not succumb to the influences of the world, but I want to be in your camp today. Today is the day that I want to keep my gear on drive mode, not on neutral. Why don't we stand? I'm done. So really, today's sermon is what I ponder on after I think about God, what does it mean for me to say I put you first? What does it mean for me to say, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength? What does it mean, God, when I say these words? And God told me, stop being in neutrality anymore. Neutrality is a myth. Today we need to decide the desire that God has put in us, the fire that God has put in us. He wants us to choose. Is it His camp? Or is it the other camp? Is it His ways? Or is it the other way? Is it the convictions that you have hold dearly before COVID hit? Or is it that you are going to move somewhere else? Today is a re-evaluation, but at the same time, I'm telling you that the mercies and the grace of God is here for us to reach out to. He is not here to give up on us. He is here to see us as a holy priesthood, a, a nation that He wants to build up, a church that He wants to invest on in this end time. But we cannot reach the end of the world if we are not standing with Him. You see, a lot of times I'm thinking, how do I even reach out to the world if the world doesn't know where I stand? How do I, you know, sometimes I say I want to stand in the middle ground because this is where I want to be closer to my friends. But my question to you is if your friend is sitting on the, if your friend is with you in the middle ground, then your friend is going to be super comfortable. Your friend is going to say, I'm with you. Where is, where is the need for me to move? But today, if you choose God, and that means that sometimes it can be uncomfortable. You can say no to your friends and some of the things that you are doing. But at least your friend knows where you stand. At least your friend knows that you stand for God. At least your friend knows that you are standing in a camp. At least your friend knows that you have conviction. And when that traffic light turns green, trust me, your patience becomes an accelerator. And you say to your friend, friend, can you come over to me? You know where I stand, right? Today we cannot afford in this end time to be like the nations of the world, to be in neutrality. Time is not in our hands.
I want to stand in the conviction of God. I want to say, God, this is my conviction. I'm going to stand for you in this end time. And I'm going to put you first. If that's your desire, why don't you raise up your hand right now and begin to tell God that Come on, that's it. Come on, it's time. It's time. It's time for us not to falter between two opinions. The prophet of God said to Elijah, Elijah said to them, Would you decide today? Will you serve God or will you serve Baal? The question for us to answer today is, would we serve God or will we serve our flesh? God, I'm coming back to you, O oh God. I'm going to fan the flames, O oh God. I'm going to fan the flames, O oh God, that you have put inside my heart, O oh God. Come on, lift up my voice right now. Come on, let the desire be lifted up in the name of Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes. Irama Sandia Rakandarama Sandia Rada. Ikandarama Sandia Rama Sandia Rada. God, I stand for you, O oh God. God, I stand for you, O oh God. I'm going to overcome neutrality today, O oh God. I'm not on neutral mode today, O oh God. I'm on drive mode, O oh God. God, you see all the things that I do, O oh God. The convictions that I had, O oh God, when I was 18 years old, O oh God. God, you see it, O oh God, and I hold it dearly, O oh God. God, forgive me, O oh God, Lord, if I have released it, O oh God, if I have stand on neutral ground, O oh God. But today, O oh God, Lord, I see, O oh God, Lord, the flames that you have put inside my heart, O oh God. And I'm going to fan it, O oh God. I'm going to put, O oh God, the desire that is in me, O oh God. And I'm going to flame, flame O oh God, Lord, the fire even brighter, O oh God. I want to stand for you, O oh God. God, today, O oh God, 
God, I, I fully accept, oh God, Lord. What you taught us, oh God, Lord, in the Word of God. I fully accept and align, oh God, Lord, to what the Word of God says, oh God. I am, oh God, for you, oh God. Let my heart be settled, oh God. Let my heart, oh God, be settled, oh God. Quiet down in the name of Jesus, oh God. Let there be peace, oh God. Let there be peace, oh God, Lord, with the Word of God, oh God. Let me not struggle with the Word of God, oh God. Let me, oh God, Lord, have peace, oh God, Lord, with your ways, oh God. Your ways are higher than mine, oh God. Let, your, let you, oh God, as the chief shepherd, oh God, Lord, lead me to still waters, oh God. Let there be peace in the name of Jesus. Come on, if it's appropriate, why don't we begin to join hands right now as the end time church. Let's join hands together and let's tell God, God, we are here as a community. We are here as a church. We are here to stand together, O oh God, as an apostolic church, O oh God, Lord. Standing on our conviction, O oh God, today, O oh God, we stand, O oh God, in the name of Jesus. We stand for you and you alone, O oh God. You, O oh God, Lord, are the chief cornerstone of the church, O oh God. And upon you, O oh God, the church is built, O oh God. Upon you, O oh God, my values are built, O oh God. Upon you, O oh God, my, the culture of Christ is built, O oh God. Upon you, O oh God, Lord, the culture of Christ, O oh God, will be built, O oh God, in the name of Jesus, O oh God. In the name of Jesus right now, God. Yes, yes. Lord, in the name of Jesus, O oh God. Yes, yes, we stand as the end time church. We stand as your church, O oh God, of the kingdom of God, O oh God. Let your earth, O oh God, let your will, O oh God, come on earth as it is in heaven in the name of Jesus. Let us find back, O oh God, Lord, our apostolic roots, O oh God. The roots that build this church, O oh God, upon this church, O oh God, I will build my church, O oh God. Upon this rock, I will build my church, O oh God. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Come on. If you believe it, if you believe that you are end time church, if you believe that you are a soldier that is called to the end time army in the name of Jesus right now, come on, proclaim it in the name of Jesus. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, let's clap our hands onto the Lord. Thank God for His presence in this place. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You know, before I end, I want to say, nobody is going to say it's going to be easy. It wasn't easy for my drive to, to HQ. My kids were crying behind. They were fighting with each other. And my mood wasn't good when I picked up the mic. I was still angry with uh, one of my kids. And it might not seem easy for you to bring your, your newborn to Sunday service. It might not seem easy for you to stand on the things that you're standing on. It might not seem easy that maybe you are not on... Uh, ministry for the past two years because we don't need logistics. It might not seem easy for the things that you are standing on. But I'm not looking forward to that day where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm just waiting for that day that says that all I've done in this life is to bring him honour and he put a smile on his face. And isn't that all that we're wishing for? That this life is just like a vapour. But if this life is a vapour, I'm living for God. I'm living to my best ability for God. And that's really all I want. Amen. Amen. Why don't we shake hands with somebody and say, I'm living for God. <laughs> Praise God, you're dismissed in Jesus' name.